0: We are looking at verse 6b through 10. We are still dealing with the Trinity's plan, which we will be from verse 13 all the way through 14. It is Paul showing us what the plan was. Today we move into the meaning of redemption, the aspects of redemptions. You guys know that every time I move into a different theme, I spend a little time explaining it. It's going to take me two weeks for this one. One, I will have to give you the definition of redemption. And then I want to give you a comparison of redemption to some of the other words that you are familiar with, or I hope you're familiar with. So let us begin with the reading of the word 6b through 10. Which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved in him. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intentions, which he purposed in him with a view to an administration suitable To the fullness of time, that is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on earth in him. Father, you have continually these last few months shown me wow. Father, I pray that my brothers and sisters, those who may understand this will reform back to wow. Those who have not thought about it will move to wow. Help us to understand the body of Christ your church, the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ in this dark world. To you, my King and my Lord. Amen. Okay, when I look at this, i got to keep coming back to the thought that there is no question that the body of Christ was for His own good pleasure. Regardless of what you may think or what you believe that the church should be, when I look at the body of Christ, the church... It is for His good pleasure. If it's the Father's good pleasure to give us the kingdom, then it is for His good pleasure to seek His own glory in giving it to us. Okay? Each of us was fit into the body. And you were placed there before existence. This is his plan because it will be to the praise of his glory. I mean, it's the the songs that we sing, all creatures of our God and King. Think about that. Lift up your voice. And yet when I look around today in, you know, specifically in Castle Rock, but as I have traveled in the United States, or basically in the United States, if you move out of the United States, the church in Moscow is struggling. They are trying to become too American. But you go out from these places to, uh, you go to Baku, Azerbaijan, where I taught every pastor in the country, 21 of them, 98% Muslim, with a Stalinistic government. A tough place to preach the gospel. Because they are against you at every corner. Whether it's the government or the neighbors. To the point, I went up to a church, that were a house of prayer that they're building. They've got the money to build it. Every nickel to do the whole thing. But they can't do it. They have to do it a little bit at a time. Because the neighbors will go to the government and say they're selling narcotics so that they can have the money to build their house of prayer. So they have to do it very slow. And How do I mean slow? Two years so far. And they've got the money to do it. But they can't do it in one shot. Okay? These are the people who says, preach the word. Preach the word. And yet they understand that whatever they suffer is to the glory of he who bought them. We, every true believer. Now, I want to be specific about this. Not everybody talking about heaven's going. Okay, we've already been taught. Jesus taught. We went through the gospel of Matthew and one of the most powerful texts that you can ever read is many will call me Lord, Lord. And I will say on that day. Away from me. I never knew you. All right. We better pay attention. The wheat and the tare are sown together, but God will separate it. There's a lot of people who believe that they are saved. I remember the first time I went to Russia, I was talking to a Russian pastor who had spent time in the gulag for preaching the gospel. And he came to me and he says, I fear for you. And I said, really? And he says, yeah, he says. Your people, the American people, have been inoculated against the gospel. If you say this prayer, you shall be saved. You know why? It's not in the Bible. Okay? And yet, you want to stir up something, challenge somebody's salvation. Just look at them, smile, look them in the eye, give them a big old grin, and say, you don't look saved. All right, duck. (laughs) You will learn to turn the other cheek. But I share that because I watch people when the Apostle Paul left Jerusalem to go to Damascus to arrest Christians. The next time they saw him, there was no doubt that there was something different. I look at the church today in many places and there's no difference in the church than the lost. And in some cases, the lost have higher moral standards. And that's, you just shake your head and think, what are you missing that, have you not read? We are positionally in the body of Christ. We were placed here before the foundations of the earth. We are positionally in it because of redemption. That you see there in verse 7. In Him we have redemption. We have redemption. You know what? Many people speak a lot about redeemed or redemption. Uh, If you go back east, a lot of times you will get a bottle and it says it can be redeemed for a nickel. Or, or, or whatever. Uh, I remember when I was growing up, they used to have these 16 ounce bottles of Pepsi, and you could redeem them after you drank them. Uh, some of you will not remember, and don't worry about it. Uh, SNS green stamps. You would get so many stamps when you went to the store, and you got a book, and you stuck them in there, and then you'd go buy something stupid with these green stamps. I remember collecting them. And all the cousins would get together and lick them and stick them in books. Most of humanity that uses the word redeemed, redemption, doesn't understand it. See, most of the people, what I just gave to you, when you talk about redeeming something, you turn something in to get something. Okay, I've got a, a card for Safeway and I can redeem monthly the gas points and uh, get my fuel for cheap. Redemption is yet the very core of Christianity. I remember talking to a Muslim one time and I asked him, how, how can you be saved? And he says, you will never know. I said, you never know if you're saved. He says, nope. When you see Allah, he'll either accept you or he won't accept you. And so I asked him about sin. He said, yeah, sin is, yeah. And he says, I'm actually on my way to go sin. I was like, well, all right. And he says, I hope that I do more good for Allah than I do bad. And then when I see Allah, he'll let me in. And I was like, gosh, <laughs> I'm not real sure that I like, like that venue. Right? But he believes that he can redeem enough good works that Allah will allow him in. Yet in Christianity, the core of our belief is redemption. And that is the theme of these verses that we're looking at right now. It is a familiar word in our world. But I also understand, and, and I've even spoke to quote-unquote pastors, and they do not understand Redemption. Redemption. So, I will spend this Lord's Day to give you a definition of what the truth says about redemption. And then next week I will give you a comparison of redemption to other words that you have heard in your walk with Jesus Christ. And so you will see the contrast. In this context... That we are in. This speaks. To the church. All. Churches. I don't care. If you're in the Middle East. You're a church. I don't care if you're in the Far East. You're a church. I don't care if you're in the Northeast. You're a church. I don't care if you're in the Bible Belt. I don't care. This is all the same church. All the same church. For all of time. Paul's definition of the church for the believing community is the body of Christ. It is not a building. It is the body of Christ. Paul's emphasis is to speak of the church in the big picture. On Wednesday night, we're looking at 1 Timothy. We were in chapter 3 and chapter 3 verse 15. He says, this is how one is to conduct himself in the church, which is the pillar and the foundation of truth. Okay, that makes sense. The war, spiritual warfare, is truth versus a lie. So the foundation and the pillar is the church. But here, in the first three chapters of Ephesians, he's a little more specific, yet still on the broad topic of the body of Christ, the church. He wants the picture to be vivid. One of the things that I have watched today, I could go ask a hundred Christians what the church is and I'll get a hundred answers and I'd probably weep over how many of them ain't even close. Because when I look at church right now. It's almost like they're trying to compete with Disney. I mean, they've got programs and projectors and special effects and flashing this and flashing that and smoke and and i'm sitting there going Man, I, you know this is whatever i went to a gentleman's funeral the other day well it's been a couple of weeks ago i never seen anything like it well he, he was a believer okay he's a believer but i you know we want to celebrate okay and but there were people jumping up and down and doing and i'm sitting there going well, well, okay, whatever. And and had this video. They've got a, a a screen thing that I I don't know how big it is. It's about five and a half feet high, but it kind of wraps around the auditorium. And it's I don't know in my before Christ days that could have been a blast. <laughs> but uh, I I just look at this kind of stuff and we call that church. Okay. Church, it is Christ incarnate in the world indwelt by the living Lord. That's church. It has nothing to do with denominations. It does not have anything to do with organizations. It is Jesus in the world. That is the Apostle Paul's focus. This letter, he's not dealing with individuals. He's not dealing with situations. He's dealing with what is one of my favorite things to deal with in all of my life. Pure, absolute, over-your-head, deep theology. I like sitting back in my chair after absorbing something going, Whoa, what was that? I just get a rush out of it. It is amazing to me. You just sit there and go, huh? Shazam! I better go take a walk on the bike path. And I do that. There's times I I just got to get some air moving through my ears. It is the theology of the church. It is specifically focused as the body of Christ. We are a body, and the head is Christ. So Paul gives us this picture of this living organism that exists to manifest Christ this day. He deals with the character of the church, and what you'll find is it is only the character of Jesus Christ. I mean, if you look at three through six on the things that you were supposed to do. Are those not the characteristics of the Lord Jesus Christ? We are to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. We are Jesus in the world. Listen, you do you hear what I'm saying? The evangelist is not Jesus in the world. The preacher You, We've got all of these administrative things that we plug people into. No, brothers and sisters, each and every one of us who are indwelt by the Lord Jesus Christ is Christ in the world. Every one of you have people in your lives that you can reach for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ that I can never reach. We are to be doing what Jesus did. And immediately everybody's head goes, I want to walk on water. Okay, you'll have to wait a little while. Grand Lake, you might be able to get away with it right now. But most of it's fallen out. So you might want to try running on water. If you think about what Jesus did, everybody wants to talk about the healing and all the rest of it. You know what he did more than anything? He taught. And they kept saying, no one taught like this. You know what they do today? No one taught like this. Why? Because ain't nobody teaching the Bible. We have cute little stories. They're wonderful. But the authority and the power comes from the scriptures. What did Jesus do when he was here? And if you really think about it, it's not that complex. It is the pillar and the foundation of what truth had a little discussion with some pastors this week and it says you know we're all here united in the person of jesus christ and i was like are we really and they said what do you mean well in the beginning was the word the word was with god the word was god some of the things you say about my jesus ain't in the word so i don't know who we're united in they love it when i show up Listen, Jesus in this world, that is this book. Ephesians. The church is the body of Christ and how it functions. And he started it off with verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. It freaks Paul out. He didn't know what to do with himself. And then he pours into this, let's drown them in theology. So that in chapter 3, they can react according to what they know. It overwhelms Paul. It thrills Paul. He knows that the mystery of the body has been revealed to him and he can't contain it. He starts it out with how the body is formed. What was the mind of God in eternity before the world began? And the amazing truth there in verse 4 is that he chose us in him before the foundations of the world. See, 3 through 14 is a glimpse of the eternal plan of God in forming the body. Listen, I was thinking about this this week. When When I think about the forming of the body... Alright. Now, I know that right now, a lot of people have misconceptions of the body. They've, we've managed to pervert it in such a way that I'm not sure what it is. Alright. I know what the scripture teaches of it. Alright. But, you know, I watch people at times, they'll go to the book of Revelations, and immediately begin doing theological yoga to understand it. I look at the book of revelations and I look at this and I say, okay, here was the plan of God before the foundations of the world. And I'm worried about revelations. Why? I mean, if he's got this part of it done and he did that before he ever made any of us is revelations really that difficult. It doesn't make sense to me. And yet we want to look at that. And I'm like, well, there's no stress here. I think we ought to all be jumping up and down saying, I'm in God's plan. Woo-hoo! Chapter 2 of this letter, we see how God works out His plan in chapter 1 throughout history. We here are in eternity past looking at the master plan. We looked at the aspects of blessing, verse 3. We looked at the aspects of the body in verses 4, 5, and 6. This is the past aspects. This is God saying, this is what we will do. The key to God's plan, election. This was God's decision, God's power, God's sovereign will, His good purpose. And people say, "Well, I just don't like that." Fine, I'm you know, that's, take it up with the author. I didn't write it. He chose us in Him. It was predetermined. Verse five. It is God's plan. You know why it is all God's plan? It is all His glory. Past aspect of the plan. Why? He chose us in Him before the foundations of the world. Okay, now we're looking at a present aspect. How is this plan now in the present? Well, it's easy. The word that I shared with you in verse 7. Redemption. Redemption. Through His blood. But the key to redemption is starts out there in him in him why because in him was the plan in him the church was chosen before the foundations of the world he took his elective purpose and worked it out in history through redemption third part of that plan and we'll look at it in a couple of months is their inheritance Our inheritance. He did this that you and I might inherit all things. All things. So he had to put the plan together. He had to choose. He had to do the redemption so that we get the inheritance. Now that's planning. His eternal plan, the body, the church, that it should be Christ in the world. It has an elective purpose, it had a redemptive plan, and it has an ultimate inheritance. The three elements of the aspects of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ in a lost and dying world that was planned before the foundations of the world. And he wanted you guys and myself to be a part of it. So we've discussed The aspects of blessings we've discussed, the aspects of election chosen by God, which lavished his love on us by his own sovereign will. It is apart from us. Before the world began, he named each and every one of you by name. He chose us before existence. I I think about that by name when my mom and dad were expecting me my uh, my mom and dad came to the conclusion that if the child born was a girl, mom would pick the name. If it was born a boy, then Dad would pick the name. Okay? <laughs> so my mom said, "If I have a girl, I will name her Terry." Well, daggone if it didn't show up a boy. And my dad in his infinite creativity says, I'll name him Terry. But what is amazing to me about that, God knew my name before he ever made the stars or the heavens. And he says, you're doomed to be Terry. (laughs) So get over it, dude. It is apart from us. He chose us before existence to place us into his body. The reason that we have such value, that we are of such worth, is because we were chosen and given the privilege of being a part of his body now. We are his testimony. We bear witness of him in the darkness. We are the light, and it is in each of us. And the light gets greater and greater as the body of Christ starts operating in the power and the authority that she possesses. How did he make this all happen? It was easy. Redemption. Redemption. Purchase back from the slave block. Anybody ever been to a sale barn? That's a sale block. Slave block. Same thing. You go in there and you bid to the owner what you want for whatever it is you think you're buying. I've seen it everything from motorcycle parts to cars to sheep to pigs to cows to horses. You name it. You know, there may not be any greater text on redemption in scriptures except for possibility of Romans 3. And yet, what a statement on redemption and what does it mean? Listen. God made this plan. The Godhead, the Trinity. Before He created anything. In order for God to bring the elect people into the inheritance that He had. He had, he has to redeem them. It is to buy back from an owner. Okay? Whoever it is, right? That is the concept of redemption. So I'll deal with the definition and the conclusion of this so that you have an idea of what I'm talking about. Theologically, it is an act of God by which God himself pays a ransom, the price for sin. I've got a book in my office and it's about that thick. Okay. Okay. And if you look on the binding on the end, on the side of it, it's got its title. You know what its title is? Sin. I really thought it'd be a bigger book, but, <laughs> but it's about, it's about that thing. I thought, well, sin book, i will be like, you know, <laughs> you need a pickup to move it around. The author of this thing in one of his statements says, quoting of sin is an outrage. To his holiness. Unquote. Unquote. An outrage to his holiness. All right. Now, there's two words in the Greek language that are translated redemption or redeem or redeem. Exargo, exargo. It means uh, it's a compound word. Uh, Argoa is uh, the marketplace. X is to remove out of the marketplace, buy out of the marketplace. Okay? The other word is Luturo. Luturo. And Luturo is to pay a price to free someone from bondage. Okay? That is the word that is used here in verse 7. Luturo. Listen, slaves in the time of the writing of the New Testament were tools. You would buy slaves to breed stock. Uh, you would buy slaves that might be an artisan because you want to do something artistic. Or you might buy a slave that is a metal worker, a leather worker, whatever, a herdsman. And you would go to the owner and you would buy that. They were tools. They were tools. I know some people who work real ranches. And they'll have horses. And that horse is a stool. It isn't a pet. You don't buy it to show it. You buy it because you can throw a bunch of stuff on its back. And you can go out and get yourself in and out of trouble theoretically. So the word laturo is. Its purpose is to buy one to set free. Okay. In whom we have the purchase which sets us free you have redemption redemption is deliverance or payment for a price okay so you have to have pay a price now listen i want to share with you some stuff that is really missed today and it's it's kind of amazing but our society has managed to move when i was growing up You would hear people say, you cannot legislate morality. Okay, and being the little rebellious thing that I always was, then my always response was, and I was not saved, nor was I attending a church, was I interested in church, but I kept thinking, then you're telling me that murder is not immoral. I mean, if you can't legislate morality, but you do legislate against murder, you're telling me, how does that work? But I was always a person who liked to stir up stuff. Okay? Today, what do we do? We legislate immorality. All right? So, what I'm trying to show you is that the society has moved in an amazing way. Because what I have learned in my years of life is that everyone in this world is captive, is a slave. Everyone who comes into this world is a slave, is captive, is in bondage, is in chains. We are slaves. If you are human, you are a slave. No man is free. Every person in the world ever or shall ever is a slave. Okay, no, I'm a bonser. No, you're not. No, you're not. You are a slave. Your master rules you. That's what I try to challenge people on. Are you saved or not? It's easy to sit with somebody for about five minutes and say, I know who rules you. You are a slave. Okay. now that we've got that out of the way. Who is their slave master? Who is the master? Every man born woman born. Everyone is a slave to a master. Who is it? Don't say Satan. Okay. So now you got to, what are you going to say? Sin. Sin is our master. Tell me it isn't. Nobody here struggles with it. He's a ruthless master. He doesn't stop. He will get you when you feel really good. He'll get you when you feel really bad. He'll get you when you're doing righteous. He'll do you all the time. He is unrelenting. He is your master. He who is born of man and woman is born into what? Sin. Now see, we have a hard time with that in our society today. You can't say that. I'm just morally challenged. No, man, you're a sinner. Well, I don't like your Bible because he says I do things wrong. Well, there you go. And you just did it again. So, just in case you think I'm making this up. The Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 34. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. So if you haven't committed any sin, then you're not a slave to it. No problem. Let me ask you a question. Who keeps teaching our children to lie? Is there a school for that? You know, and they sneak out at night when we think they're in bed, and then they come back and lie. If you've ever had children, you know that they have a problem at times with the truth. Have you ever seen anything more self-centered than a baby? Feed me, make me sleep, and clean up my mess. Where did that come from? Oh, you're born a man and woman you conceived in. Oh, yeah, I remember now. Paul's letter to the Romans. Chapter 6, verse 17. Thanks be to God. God that though you were slaves of sin you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching which you are now committed chapter 7 verse 14 for we know that the law is spiritual but i am of the flesh sold into bondage to sin romans chapter 8 verse 21 Creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption and to freedom of the glory of the children of God. What is the master of men? Sin. Sin. Have you ever had one of those? Did you get up early in the morning? you know i was thinking this morning i got up this morning and i prayed i I just thank god that you know you know let my hands be about your work make my feet be upon your path and glory be to you and then as i was coming in seen the moon going down over the rocky setting big full moon i was looking in my rearview mirror here comes the sun coming up with this really where did you get those colors okay i mean you can get one of them big boxes of crayons and you ain't gonna get that color but anyway and and so you're seeing all of this and I came around back here to throw some trash in the dumpster and it's got that little lid on there. I lifted that lid up here and it fell back down hit my knuckle and I no longer love Jesus. Just smack my hand and you're like, what? I've seen the glory of His creation everywhere. I've been quiet in my heart and it's just a joy and now I just want to blow up this can. What is the captor of men's sin? What holds men? What masters men? Sin. And you know what is amazing about sin? Sin demands a price to be paid. If you wish to be released from sin, you must pay a price. What is, depending on your translation, what is the wage or what is the penalty of sin? Death. And that death, guess what? You're free from Sin. You can take a body in the morgue and you take a hat pin. Everybody know what a hat pin is? Okay. You take a hat pin, stick them right in the butt. And they won't have a bad word for you. They won't yell at you. They won't cuss at you. They won't do anything. Why? Because sin is dead. Right? So the penalty of sin is what? So if you want to be free from sin, what do you got to do? There you go. Very simple. Very easy. So, to purchase sinners from the chains, from the shackles, from the bondage of sin, the slaves got to go to the slave block. And guess what? There must be a death. Without death, there is no remission of sin. Okay? Look at what you're reading in Leviticus. What is that? Guilt offering. Sin offering. What are you doing? I'm trying to do what? Get rid of the penalty of sin. What is it? An animal's going to die. And a priest is going to get fed. Right? I mean, that's all that is. It's over and over and over. And yet we all smart enough to know that if I take and kill a lamb, it ain't doing a thing for my sin. And if you don't believe me, ask the lamb. Lamb said, you're, you're wasting a good job here, guy. In the Old Testament, it says the soul that sins, it shall certainly die. So the price of sin is what? Death. Okay, listen, you don't have to be a theologian to argue this. You don't even have to be a believer to argue this. Tell me who got out of this life alive. Nobody I know. Jesus did. Which proves to me that there is redemption. So he redeemed us. He paid for our sin. Alright? Let me cover that for a minute. He paid the price to for and if you ever read the translations, he paid for the price for sin. It's not plural. He paid off the master. The master of men. Sin. So, Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. Don't go back to your old master. Chapter 1 of Galatians, verses 3 and 4. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins so that we might be rescued from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. That's the therefore. Okay? We have been delivered by Christ. We have been delivered from the yoke and the bondage of evil. That's Galatians. Colossians chapter 1 verse 13. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14. Delivered from the bondage of sin and death. Why does mankind fear death? Because of sin. Why would a Christian fear death? You have been bought out of it. Sin and the fear of death holds men captive. Holds them captive. Christ came to buy us out of that captivity. Paid in full. Redemption. That is his definition. You have been. If you are truly his. You have been freed from sin and death. Sin is not your master. Now you may willingly go back to it. But you know, it's it's sort of like I use me as an illustration. I remember uh, when we were kids, and cigarettes were twenty-one cents a pack. Okay, and I remember the first pack I went out and bought was a pack of Winston's. I will not tell you how old I was. Okay, and I refuse to do that. But I went out and bought them. Okay. So we snuck down in the barn where my grandparents was, and everybody was like, hey, we got cigarettes, man, let's try this thing. So we all took a cigarette, we put it in our mouth, we took a match, we lit that thing, and I thought I was gonna die. I knew for a fact that my liver was gonna cough right out my nose. Okay? And then you know, in my our brilliant, infinite wisdom slave to sin, you take another hit on it. And guess what? There goes your kidney out your nose. And then in your infinite wisdom, you take another hit on, it. your eyes are watering, you're just three shades of green, and you're like, well, I'm glad I'm a man now, I can smoke. And I thought, how stupid is it is, but you keep doing it. Eventually, your body says, yeah, I can handle this. And I see people do that. I remember the first time my dad gave me a beer, and I back gagged. Why would anybody drink that? That is awful. And yet, we always go back to it. Why? That's what sin is. Why? This is going to make you... What? What's it going to make you? What's it going to do? Do you see what I'm trying to get at? That is the bondage that we are all in. We think that... We convince ourselves, this is going to be really good. This is really, really good. Why do I feel like I'm going to die? Because everybody said it's going to be really good. Well, then try it again and it'll get better. And you know what is amazing? Bowing your knee before the cross of Jesus Christ, all that goes away. It all goes away. I watch people, young people want to get fall in love and get married and all fuzzy and warm. And I'm saying, you know what? You got two blind, naked, and depraved individuals who are so self-centered that they will run over anybody. And now you two are going to get together and get along, right? Huh? How does that work? Well, you got to love the other as yourself. But then the argument begins. Well, he ain't. Well, she ain't. And that you just sit there and you go, no, man, come on, it's no different than taking a cigarette for the first time and smoking on it, saying, "How's come my lungs are coming out my ears?" And this is supposed to be so good. I have a bad habit when I travel international of picking up—not so much anymore because it's legal—but Cuban cigars. I like Cuban cigars. But I tell you what about a Cuban cigar? You mishandle that thing and inhale it, you'll know why they love communism. Because it only takes once and all of a sudden your eyes start bleeding. Okay? And you you put it out, you walk away, and you don't want to think about anything in reality. But yet our flesh says, hey, that ain't as much fun now because you can get them anywhere. But I, I share that because we like to say that it's Satan. And you know what I tell you? That's Flip Wilson theology. The devil made me do it. No, he didn't. Your sinful natures make you do everything. I got news for you. And I'll close with this. Our adversary, the devil, is not omnipresent. You understand that? He ain't everywhere all at once. So if he's going to afflict you, he's got to show up at your doorstep. Okay, And now what makes you so important that Satan wants to mess with you? You ever understand that? I don't need demonic work around me. I know who I am. I have been freed from the chains of sin. And every once in a while, I want to go put that bracelet right back on my leg. Yeah, that was kind of fun. And then you think about it and think, really, what what's the so fun about it? But you have been bought and paid for with a price. You've been bought off the sale barn. You have a new master. Who lavished you with all the spiritual blessings in the heavenlies. And if you inhale him deeply, you won't cough. <laughs> There's some theology in there somewhere. I know there's got to (laughs) be something. Please, my brothers and sisters, understand the price is paid. The price is paid. We have been delivered from the bondage of sin and death. It has no sting in us anymore. Okay? That is what it means to be in the body of Christ. Next week, I will contrast redemption with some other terms that you are all very much aware of. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Father, we are overwhelmed by the amazement of the heart of the Apostle Paul. But Father, as I look at all of this, I am amazed at what you have done. What you have planned. Father, the degree of emphasis that you have placed in just this chapter. just makes me rejoice when I read your book. Father, you overwhelm me. Father, I pray for the saints. I pray that they are overwhelmed by the privilege of being in the body of Christ. But Father, that also that we would be overwhelmed with being called children of the Most High God. Father, overwhelmed with the opportunity to reflect Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Father, overwhelmed that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. that Father, that we have an eternal inheritance that rust and thief uh, and corrosion cannot touch and is stored for us. Father, I pray for everyone here this day. That They walk worthy of their calling. And Father, they walk in humility. And Father, they walk with a, a joy in their life that says, I, I am a child of the Most High God. Father, I have been graced by You. Thank You, my King, my Lord, in Christ's name. Amen.